Well, welcome to CBCB. Today we are actually wrapping up our sermon series on the book of Ephesians, and we've been talking about the apocalypse. We've been talking about how the true biblical definition of that word is not about the end of the world, and it's not about a war or something like that. Apocalypse really is a revelation of something that we couldn't understand before. It's like a, an unveiling of something that we couldn't see before. It's like an illumination maybe of an idea that we didn't really quite get before. And last week we talked about this life that God calls us to. It's a life that's rich and satisfying and abundant for us. And it's a life that pleases God and honors God. And it's a life that draws people to God. And so Paul's given us a lot of instructions in Ephesians about how to live that life. But I think our big apocalypse last week is that we're not following these instructions on our own power so that we can get in Christ. We're following these instructions in his power because we are in Christ. And so this week we're gonna kinda continue that. We're gonna specifically target what that looks like in our relationships. And I think it's good timing because holidays are here and it's time now for us to spend lots of time, lots of time, with our family and our friends and relatives. And that's, that's awesome, right? That's amazing. But it can also be like challenging, especially if you have crazy relatives or like a weird uncle or wonky friends. How many of you just transparently would just say, sometime during this holiday season, I will be spending time with crazy relatives, a weird uncle, some wonky friends? Most, yeah? Yeah, how many of you, like, it's already started? Like, it's Thanksgiving, we already had them, yeah. How many of you, like, you're sitting with them right now? <laughs> A few, handful, <laughs> the honest people. So this is timely, right? Uh, so here's our little disclaimer, a little warning today. Um, we're gonna look at kind of a controversial uh, passage today. Thank goodness we've already had the apocalypse of unity, amen? Amen? Okay, so we remember that in Christ, in Christ, we have unity, amen? Okay, so when we get to the part about what Paul means about husbands and wives and submission, we're gonna have unity, amen? Come on, I'm putting it all out here right now, right? There's gonna be, this. look, no like kidney punching, no eye gouging, no rushing the stage and attacking the pastor. Amen? Amen. Okay. So we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, let's just read. It's Ephesians 5.15. It says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Live like those that are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And don't be drunk with wine, because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see what Paul did, because Paul is a truly brilliant communicator. He really wants us to get these instructions. He wants, us to, he wants us to hit home with us, and so he gives us contrasting ideas to make things really clear. So he says, don't live like fools. Instead, live like the wise. He says, don't be thoughtless. Instead, get some understanding. He says, don't be full of and influenced by wine, Instead, be filled and influenced by the Spirit. And then now, he's gonna go deep on that last one. 
that one about being filled with the Spirit. He's, he dis, he's gonna describe for us when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you are influenced by the Holy Spirit, this is kind of what it looks like, okay? So we're gonna back up, we're at verse 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reference of reverence for Christ. So you guys know I'm not like some kind of expert in Greek or something like that, and I have learned so much uh, about Greek and, and grammar and language, and specifically from this guy I talk about all the time, Tim Mackey and the Bible Project people. Uh, and I know this isn't like super interesting to everybody, but this is really important. This is, it it's really illuminates this passage if you understand just a little bit about some of the grammar and some of the language. Um, here's what I wanna say. In the original Greek, we read, these, we read these sentences, right? Bam, bam, bam. Each one means something on its own. But in the original Greek, verses 18 through 24, that's six verses. Verses 18 through 24 is not a lot of individual ideas. It's not a bunch of different sentences. It's one long, continuous sentence. And that matters. It's one long, complex idea. So if you can bear that in mind and stick with me just for a couple of minutes of like Greek grammar geekiness, it, it kind of clarifies what Paul is trying to say if we remember that when you look at those verses in your Bible, all those periods and spaces and capitalizations that separate sentences and separate ideas, that Paul didn't do that. that, that our translators have put that in there so that we can understand it and so that it makes sense to us. But to Paul and to the people at Ephesus who he wrote this to, this is one long, complicated, really complex idea. And he had at his disposal, on his computer, he had a period, right? He had a space bar. He chose not to use them because that would have changed what he meant. So he didn't, and this, this, um, this really matters. We're trying to get at the real meaning here, right? And we all know there's lots, of, there's lots of ways to read stuff, right? We can read this for like what we think it ought to say. We can read it for what we've always thought it said. We can read it for what we think it ought to say. But what we're trying to do is see what Paul really meant to say, right? Right? Are we going back to the unity thing? Because I'll go. <laughs> right? We want to know what Paul was trying to say, not just how we've read it or our, our parents told us what it meant or whatever. We want to know what Paul was really, really, really trying to say. And so we're going we're gonna to dig into that, and we're going to break this sentence down the way he wrote it. But first, I'm going to give you a similar long, complex sentence in English. Okay, and then I'm gonna show you his sentence kind of alongside it, right? They're kind of the same sentence structure. Any English teachers here? Sweet, I can do whatever I want now. Uh, okay, so here's my, here's my sentence. It's gonna be long. It's a lot of kind of little parts to the sentence. Okay, here it is. Don't stay home and pout. Instead, go to the Christmas party. Open gifts. Play games. Eat. So each one of those ideas, opening gifts, playing games, eating, each one of those is its own kind of little idea. 
But each one is really just describing one part, one aspect of the one really big idea of this really one big sentence about going to a Christmas party. You with me? Go like this, okay? So we could even add more to it. Like we could even describe one of those things. Like we could add the words cake and ice cream. Right, now look at this. It's gonna be a lot of different ideas, but it's just really one long thing. So it says now, don't stay home and pout. Instead, go to the Christmas party. Open gifts, play games, eat cake and ice cream. So this is one long, complex, convoluted description of what I want you to do, which is go to the Christmas party, right? That's, that's really what I'm saying. I'm just describing it. I'm just getting into a lot of detail and, and talking about a lot of different aspects about it. Now, your middle school English teacher calls that a run-on sentence, right? They don't do that. Throw some periods. Let's get some spaces in there, right? But in Greek, this was normal. This was perfectly okay. A run-on sentence was acceptable in Paul's world and in Paul's language. And so now we're gonna take a look at his run-on sentence, his long, complex sentence. Okay, here it comes. Don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's the one idea, right? And then just like my sentence, he's gonna break it down and he's gonna give us a little more detail. So now he says, the first description, the first aspect, it's not opening gifts. The first aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit is singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your own heart. So when you go to a party, one thing that happens is you open gifts. And when you're filled with the Spirit, one thing that happens is worship. It's singing songs and hymns in a group and also in your own heart. Um, it's, what is worship, right? It's, it's, it's recognizing and appreciating and talking about and singing about and writing poems about and, and, and dancing to celebrate who God is. So that's just the first aspect. When you're filled with the Spirit, yeah, you, you'll worship. That's, that's an aspect, just like going to the party. And then he gives another aspect of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Joy was talking about a second ago, right? This is, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're gonna give thanks because you're gonna recognize what Jesus' brother James wrote in James 1.17, he says, every good thing, every good thing, your breath, your relationships, turkey, right? Every good thing is a gift coming down from our Heavenly Father. So when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he's saying that you will give thanks. You'll, you'll recognize all the good stuff that's going on in your life, and you'll even have your eyes open to it. Not just when something amazing happens. Every single day, you'll see every, the sun came up. Wow, that's amazing. I have food to eat. Oh, that's incredible. There are people in the world that love me. That's incredible. Jesus came so that I could go, right? Jesus died so that I could live. These are pretty good things. I'm gonna be thankful for those things. So you with me so far? It's a, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, some stuff happens, right? Number one, you're gonna worship because you see who God is. And number two, you're gonna give thanks because you're gonna see what God's done. So when you go to a party, a couple of things happen. You open gifts, you play games, you eat, especially cake and ice cream. And when you're filled with the Spirit, a couple of things happen. We worship God for who he is, and we thank God for what he's done, and we'll do this third thing. 
that spirit-filled people do. And further, it says, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. The third one's a hard one, right? Because submitting one to another is, I'm gonna say, counterintuitive for human beings, do you agree? Right? It goes against the grain. It doesn't feel natural for us to submit to other human beings. If you don't believe me, sign up next week and work with our two-year-olds. Right? And you, it's, just not, it's not born into us to submit. Right? That's not natural. It's, it's counterintuitive. It's the opposite of what seems right to us. It's, submitting is not, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't make sense. It, 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 it's hard. It's not, it's not natural for us to do that. But Paul is saying, when I have this apocalypse, right? When I'm filled with the Spirit and he opens my eyes and he illuminates everything for me, and now I can see who God really is. And now I can see all that he's really done for me. And when I realize that Jesus chose to submit, Jesus chose to lower himself and to put himself below us so that we could be in him, then that kind of changes our perspective on this word submit. So who's up for some Greek? You're getting it, you might as well raise your hands. Okay, okay the Greek word for submit here is hupotasso. Let me hear you say hupotasso. Hupotasso, so it's a, it's a complex word. So the word hupo means like under or beneath or below. And then the word tasso is like to set something or to place something or to put something in a certain place. So to submit to hupo tasso is to place something under something. So when he says to submit yourself, when he says to hupo tasso yourself, what he's saying is that you put yourself below other people. And I think the apocalypse here is, if Jesus can put himself below me, then I can put myself below everyone. And so Paul is even gonna spell that out for us in Philippians 2. He says, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Choosing to put yourself below so that you're looking up to other people, choosing to see other people as more important than yourself. And he goes on, this is verse five, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Even though he was God, he didn't think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross, so Jesus was clearly above me, right? He's God and I'm humans, but he hupotassoed himself. He, he humbled himself. He put himself below me. He became human, and not just human, a slave, a, a criminal. And I'm gonna tell you that when Paul said this to the church at Ephesus, this had like huge implications 
to them, to, to hupotasso yourself, you think it's counterintuitive for us, man. For them, this is a real like honor-shame society, so it's all about social rank, you know, like about the caste system in the Middle East some. It, 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 to say to somebody that is lower than you socially, I'm gonna choose to put you up higher than me? I'm gonna choose to hupotasso myself to you? That was just, that was absurd to them, and I promise you, the people at the church of Ephesus, especially the important people at the church in Ephesus, probably thought Paul had just lost it. But that's what he says. It's one long sentence. What he says is, submission is what you do when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like worshiping God for who he is, just like thanking God for what he's done. And I think Paul recognized that this is the hard one of the three because he gives us like a little more um, clarification on some examples of that. So just like in my last aspect of my brilliant sentence, eating, I like clarified it, right? Let's define it a little bit. It's not just eating. It's eating cake and eating ice cream. And Paul's gonna do kind of the same thing in his sentence. Submitting to each other needs like more definition and a little more description. So he describes some aspects of it. So for him, it's not gonna be eating cake and ice cream. For him, it's gonna be submitting to one another, wives to their husbands and husbands to their wives. You with me? You mad at me? Okay, hang around. Uh, in a minute, we're gonna look at exactly how wives are to submit and exactly how husbands are to submit. And we'll talk about that in a sentence, but in this one long sentence, here's the whole sentence, okay? What he's saying is, instead of being filled with wine, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll worship God for who he is. And we'll give thanks for everything all the time. And we'll submit to each other, wives to their husbands and husbands to their wives. We're all to submit to each other out of submission to Jesus. And that includes husbands submitting to their wives every bit as much as wives submitting to their husbands. Women, can I get an amen? amen. Husbands, put your weapons away and hear me out, okay? Or just let me say, listen, I have a complimentary view of scripture, really. And what that means is I believe that God intentionally created men and women to be different from each other. I like the differences, right? God intentionally designed men and women to be different from each other, to complement each other, and, and we're designed to live differently than each other. We're designed to love differently than each other. We're designed to follow Jesus differently. We're designed to worship differently. We're designed to submit to each other in different ways. In fact, Paul's gonna spend 11 verses 11 verses, this is chapter five of Ephesians, from 22 to 33. And in all of that time, he's gonna be outlining the different ways that out of submission and reverence for Jesus, husbands and wives submit to each other. So he starts with the wives. Verse 22, he says, wives are to submit to their husbands as the head of the marriage, just like Jesus is the head of the church, and we submit to him. Now, this is the controversial part, right? This is where it gets like, it gets like um, argumentative or divisive. It gets a little weird here at this word head, right? 
husband is the head of the wife. And every man that reads that just suddenly is like two inches taller. You know, his chest is a little bit bigger. And every wife that reads that is like, what? Right? The head? So again, we're, we're not what I think it means, okay? It's not, it's not what you think it means. It's not what men or women think. What, what's Paul trying to say? Right? What is he trying to say when he says the man is the head of the wife? So this is the word kafale. In Greek, let me hear you say kafale. Kafale. And, and I'll give you like a perspective on that word, okay? So just like the English word head, kafale, the, the, the primary literal meaning of kafale, of head, is this thing, right? Your noggin, right? This, the lump, three feet above your butt, right? This thing, that's, that's what head really means. That's, what, that's the literal, that's what, that's what head means, literally. That's what kafale means, literally. But then metaphorically, in English, we use the word head for lots of stuff. Right, we got the, what, uh, the head of a pen, the head of a coin, the head of a pimple, right? <laughs> we talk about bringing things to a climax, what do we say? Oh, bring it to a head, right? This, it, means different, it means different things. One English use of the word head that we don't use a whole lot in English these days is to think of it as a source. So like a river, where the river begins, right? Where the water starts, the source, the beginning of a river is called the river head. So these are just all different ways, metaphorically, that we use the word head. What it really means is this, same with kafali. Now in English, we also use the word head to imply authority, right? Or power, or think of like being a boss. I think um, he's the head of the mafia, right? You better do what he says, right? Because he's the head of the mafia. You don't cross him. Right? She's, the, she's the head of the company. If you don't do what she says, you're gonna get fired because she's the head. She has authority. She has power. You should, you should be a little bit afraid of her. So that's, that's an English way to use that word. But most of the best Greek Bible scholarship that I've found is saying that in the Greek, in the first century, the word kafale was not used to imply power. It was never used to imply authority or fear or a boss. It was really commonly used like riverhead, right? It supports, it's, it's a, a source, like you depend on your head, right? It's, you can't survive without your head. If you cut off the head, the thing dies. It's a, it's a life provider. It's a, a, a life sustainer, it's a, it's a source. So the big controversy is when Paul said that the husband is the head of the wife, did he mean like the boss of the wife? Like a mafia head? Or did he mean more like the head of a river? The support and the source and the provider and the protector of the wife. So I, should we just vote or what are we gonna do? I'll, I'll tell you from me, as a husband, I like the boss idea, <laughs> right? Because this way, Margaret can just defer to me and she can just serve me and she can just do what I say. So I like the mafia head idea, the power and the authority. Um, and I'm like trying to think of somebody that says it really, like describes it really well. 
like different commentators and, and preachers and authors and everything. And a couple of weeks ago, um, we talked about a country song that really laid out some good theology for us. So I'm gonna now introduce you to the Tom Paul Glazer uh, perspective on the head. And this is a song that I actually wanted in our wedding and Margaret poo-pooed that idea. And if you know the song, you can sing it with me, okay? This is Tom Paul Glacier. Uh, the song goes like this, let me think. Put another log on the fire. You know that song? Cook me up some bacon and some beans. Go out to the car and change the tire. Wash my socks and sew my old blue jeans. Come on, baby, you can fill my pipe and then go fetch my slippers. And boil me up another pot of tea and then put another log on the fire, baby, and come and tell me why you're leaving me. <laughs> That's a great song. You know that song? See, a lot of people think George Strait is a great theologian, but this guy, he's, this, I like this, man. That sounds right to me. I'm the head, man. I'm the head. I'm the head. So submitting to me means cowering and serving 24-7. That sounds, amen, right? I mean, that sounds, to, to me and Tom Paul, that sounds right. But again, what we're trying to get at is, what did Paul mean, right? What was he, what was he trying to say? when he said the husband is the head of the wife, and I hate to say it, and Tom Paul Glazer is not gonna agree with this, but I think Paul meant it more as a sustainer and a supporter and a source for the wife, not the boss, not the one to be feared, not the one to be served, number one, because when Paul talks in this same passage, about how the husband is supposed to act in submission, he doesn't once mention bossing your wife. He never talks about oppressing your wife. He never once mentions demanding that she fetch your slippers, right? In fact, in verse 25, he tells us what he means, okay? So he's talking about submission. Here's what he says. This is chapter five, verse 25. Talking about submission. For husbands, this means love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave his life up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Just, to, again, Paul's not a stupid man. He's, he's an amazing writer. He uses little sneaky metaphors and stuff. He's very, very, very smart about the way he presents this. He's saying that the husband is gonna help his wife become holy. You agree with that? That's what he's doing, right? He could have said the husband's gonna boss her into being holy. He could have said he, he whip her into submission, right? Demand that she become holy. But instead, he chooses an illustration of washing and of laundry. Isn't that interesting? Would you say that those are jobs for a boss or jobs more for a servant? Huh. In the same way, he says, verse 28, 
Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Verse 33, so again, I say, each man should love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. No mention of bullying or bossing or bringing slippers. Also, he's saying, husbands, love your wives. He's telling them how to do it. And how does he say to do it? The way that Christ loved the church. So Christ was the head of the church. How did he handle that? Right? Was it, was it, it was total submission. It was total hupotasso. Right? He was willing to die so we could live. I mean, that's, if that's what Paul is saying a husband should do, I just don't see the mafia head thing. I don't see the, 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 the corporation head thing being on his mind when he wrote this. He's saying, husbands, be the head of your wife like Jesus is the head of the church. So how does he do that? He loves us completely. He loves us sacrificially. He hupotassoed himself like nobody else in history. He's our savior and our protector and our provider and our source. So, sorry, if you prefer the mafia boss or the Tom Paul Glazer translation, in, in Paul's mind, right, in Paul's mind, submitting does not seem to imply that our wives should subject themselves to bullying or even bossing around. And it does not imply that we have more value or dignity or power than our wives. And I'm, I don't know about you, I'm tired of hearing people talk about, oh, the Bible's full of misogyny. Oh, everybody in the Bible hates women. Oh, they're trying to hold women down and all that stuff. Paul's a feminist. I guarantee you, Paul is a feminist. Paul is all about lifting women up, not holding women down. And in his day, Paul was a radical feminist. In fact, Paul actually said, in Christ, there is no male or female. There is no Greek or Jew. Right? There is no slave or free. There's no rank at all. It's, it's, we all have the same value. We all have the same dignity. We all have the same power because we have the value and the dignity and the power of being in Christ. So what it does say is that a wife should intentionally hubotasso herself, right? Not that he should push her down there. She should hubotasso herself. She should submit herself. She should intentionally place herself below her husband. And she should choose to see him as more important than herself. Not because he is more important, but why? Out of reverence for Jesus. And husbands are called to submit too. The same way that Jesus hupotassoed himself to us. By loving our wives like he loved the church. And that means sacrificially putting their needs above our needs. Like Jesus put our needs above his needs. That means us being willing to do whatever it takes to make a relationship work, just like Jesus was willing to do whatever it took to make a relationship work. It means choosing to see your wife as more important than yourself. Again, not because she is, but just out of reverence for Jesus. And if you think that sounds shocking to us, can you imagine how that played in Ephesus? This was scandalous, man. This was insane for them because in that world, you know, your wife was regarded like 
it's just straight up property, right? Your wife and was, just, was just something that you own. Your wife was something that, that only existed for your benefit. To them, this is like Paul saying, submit yourself to a pair of shoes, right? Submit yourself to your house, right? That's just something that you own. So it was, it was a shocking idea in that culture to intentionally choose to see yourself as lower than your wife or lower than anybody who you thought had a lower social rank than you. And it's, it's hard, it was hard for them, it's hard for us. It's hard for us now, but when we have this apocalypse and we really see who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are in him, and when we really see that everything we have comes from him, do you see what that does to my pride level? When I see that, I don't see who he is. Do you see what that does to my pride? When I see that everything I have, I only have as a gift from him, do you see what that does to my pride? So when we really see who he is, and we really see what he's done, and when we see that he chose to submit, he chose to huputasso himself, he chose to, to condescend and defer and sacrifice, Jesus chose to see us as more important than himself. When we have that apocalypse, I think our natural response is to, what he said, worship him together and alone with songs and poems and in our words and give thanks for everything all the time and to imitate his humility in hubotasso by seeing others as more important than ourselves and submitting to them and not just in marriage. In fact, Paul goes on to repeat the same idea of hupotasso and some other relationships, kids and parents, right? In chapter six, he goes into this. He's kids, place yourself in submission, right? Under your parents, submit yourself, hupotasso. And dads, hupotasso yourself by doing what's best for your kids, not what's best for you. Do what's best for your kids. You're bigger than they are. You're stronger than they are. You're more experienced than they are. You're more wise than they are. So it's easy for a dad to see their kids as less valuable than themselves. It's easy for a dad to see their kids as less important than themselves. It's easy for a dad to say, it would be fun to provoke my children. It's easy for a dad to say they're not as important as me, so it's easy for me to ignore my children. But hupotasso, intentionally seeing them as more important than yourself, means that you'll, what does it say? Bring them up with the love and discipline that comes from the Lord. See, Paul's really talking about all of us submitting to each other just in different ways. He, he even talks about slaves and masters, right? Chapter six, verse five, he says, slaves, hupotasso, submit yourself to your masters. See them as more important than yourself. And so work hard and do your best. And then in verse nine, he says, masters, treat your slaves the same way. Masters, you should hupotasso yourself to your slaves. And this isn't Paul endorsing slavery. Listen, Paul couldn't imagine a world without slavery, right? In, in this world, in Rome in the first century, more than half of the population were slaves. So this is, just how he, this is how the world was to them. So he's not saying slavery is a good idea, and he's not speaking against slavery, which seems weird to us in our world, but that's not what the letter is, right? That's what we wanted to, that's not what he was talking about. What he was talking about, what he's saying is, whatever your status, husband, wife, slave, free, kid, parent, your value isn't tied up in that designation. 
right? Your value and your dignity and your power and your true identity is you're in Christ. You're chosen by God to be blessed and to be a blessing to the world. You are covered with his grace. You're empowered by his spirit. That's who you are. Wherever you fall into these categories, husband, wife, kids, parents, slaves, and masters, when you really have this apocalypse and you really see who Jesus is and, and, and what he's done and who you are in him, and when you really see that everything you have is a gift from him, and when you really see that in spite of all that, Jesus chose to hupotasso himself. Jesus chose to submit himself. Jesus chose to intentionally see you as higher and more important than him. When you have that apocalypse, you will celebrate and worship who he is with poems and words and songs and spiritual songs and hymns and dancing. And you will give thanks to him because you know that every good thing comes from him. And you will hupotasso. You will place yourself beneath. You will submit yourself to everyone. Spouses, kids, parents, crazy relatives, weird uncles, wonky friends, people who are higher on the social ladder than you, people that are lower on the social scale than you are, everybody. You'll hupotasso everybody. Not because of who they are, but because you've had this apocalypse. And because now, through the Holy Spirit, you supernaturally see who Jesus is and what he's done and who we all are in him. Amen? You mad at me? No. Okay. Somebody said no. Let's pray. Jesus, just thanks for this apocalypse, man. Thanks for showing us for the last several weeks just who you are and what you've done and what it means for us to be in Christ. Thank you so much for illuminating this and opening our eyes to this and revealing these truths to us through this amazing letter that Paul wrote to this church 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, I guess my prayer today is that you will help us to walk in it, right? That we will walk in the power that we have and the anointing that we have and the freedom that we have and the peace and the joy and the love and the power that we have, that we will just walk that out every day. We need to see who you are and we need to see who we are in you. And when we do, God, I just pray that you'll empower us. Um, to live the life that you have for us, a life that honors you and pleases you and draws people to you and a life that's rich and satisfying and, and abundant for us. God, will you please just show us what you want us to see so that we can live the lives that you want us to live to your glory. And in Jesus' name, amen and amen.